BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Tuesday, June 7th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Schools have been struggling to meet the mental health needs of students, and new data is showing just how much the pandemic has impacted them. 7 in 10 public schools are seeing a rise in children seeking services, and 76% of faculty and staff have expressed concerns about depression and anxiety in students since the start of the pandemic. Laura Meckler, national education reporter at The Washington Post, joins us for how only about half of schools surveyed say they can effectively provide needed services. Next, at the beginning of the year, there was a lot of talk in California about vaccine mandates and requirements for employees and students. Now, as politics and COVID fatigue have set in, those plans are all doomed. Rachel Bluth, correspondent for Kaiser Health News, joins us for how the most popular vaccine legislation has been those to ban them. Finally, after two years of the pandemic, many are reviving their efforts to connect with more people in their networks, and it could be overwhelming. But how many friends do you actually need? Research says that the magic number of close friends is about three to five. Fostering these relationships take time and energy, with research saying it takes about 200 hours to become close with someone. Ali Volpe, senior reporter at Vox, joins us for more. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Across the country, people are stressed, and this pandemic has been especially traumatic for children. Our schools, teachers, and education leaders are seeing this every day. Joining us now is Laura Meckler, national education writer at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Laura. Nice to be here. Well, there's been a lot of conversation recently about mental health after we saw a shooting in Uvalde, Texas, uh, conversations about mental health, and then obviously conversations about what's going on in schools, safety at schools, all this stuff. But what we're looking at, you know, and, and coming off of the pandemic, too, we're hearing a lot of stories from teachers and school administrators about the mental health of their students and how they've had a hard time adjusting. You know, we've seen a lot of fights. We've seen kids unable to focus. Depression and sadness has been at an all-time high. And now we have some data to kind of back this stuff up and back up how schools are struggling to meet these needs in a lot of ways. So, uh, Laura, tell us a little bit about this new survey and some of the results that we got. Schools say they're doing okay, but they need more staffing, more funding to, to meet all of these increased needs. 
Yeah, I mean, we've been hearing this all year long from teachers and also from students that it's just like people are a mess this year, right? I mean, kids are just having a really hard time. Teachers report that kids are acting like what you would expect somebody two years younger to act like, that they just don't know how to do school or how to relate to their peers or how to not look at their phones. And the pandemic has seemed to really take a toll. And this survey that we have from the Federal Education Department the National Center for Health Education Statistics, so they did a survey every month. Recently, they've been surveying schools around the country to look at sort of what the impacts have been of the pandemic. And this particular month, which was done in April, so this is before the terrible school shooting in Texas, they found that 70% of schools were, had seen an increase in students seeking mental health services. And about two-thirds of schools had increased the mental health services that they offer. So essentially, you're just seeing this, you know, huge spike in demand for these services. And yet, as you said, at the same time, when asked, do you think you're able to effectively provide the services for all students who are in need? Only a a little over half said that they thought they could do that. And so that leaves quite a few districts that are, you know, really not providing what's needed. The faculty and staff are also experiencing these things as well and need help. And they're also seeking support from the school systems and and the services that they offer, too. So that's the other part of the equation is the adults in the room, right? They need help, too. This has been a terrible year for teachers. I think that any teacher will tell you that. And coming off of a what came before that, which was also a terrible year. What the survey found was that 29% of schools reported increases in the portion of staff who were seeking mental health services at school. Now, this doesn't count, of course, those who seek them elsewhere. And that 61% of schools reported increases in staff concerns about either their own mental health or their colleagues. So you're picking that up, as you say, from the teachers and the staff in school as well. And so what we're seeing is a lot of schools obviously trying to accommodate these things and they're increasing the programs and the groups uh, available to these students and, and teachers also, but uh, they're increasing the programs to help with all of this stuff. A lot of times they're done by either school counselors or outside experts that, that the school employs, but a lot of it's being done with some of these outside groups as well. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of a mix. It seems like Typically, um, the most likely person to provide the services is a school counselor. I think 82% said that that's what the, that they were doing that. 71% said they also had or perhaps only had a licensed mental health professional, so someone who works for the district but is an actual mental health service person as opposed to a counselor, which is a little bit of a different, normally a different kind of job. Um, and then about half of schools are getting people from the outside who provide services at the school. And about one in four were relying on the school nurse. So it's sort of a range of different people who are are helping with this issue. You talk about Indio High School in Southern California. They have 14 Mm. support groups to address a range of issues and the needs of students. So they have about 2,000 kids in the school. About 400 students uh, have participated in at least one of these groups. So, I mean, there's a lot of kids that are actually using the services. These groups really range, you know, in some cases it's just, individual issues like social skills or something like that, but some of it's grief groups, people who have lost loved ones in the pandemic. In some cases, you have kids who feel guilty that they think they might have brought COVID home to their household. There's just like a whole range of stuff that kids are dealing with right now. On top of, you know, let's be honest, I mean, it's not like any of this was super easy before the pandemic. You know, kids had lots of issues then, but we've just added so much. 
We've seen a lot in the news about parental rights and opposition to teaching certain things at school, talking about certain things at school. Have there been pushbacks on any of these mental health programs? And, you know, we know that this is important. We know that the students need it, but have there been any pushback on it? So social emotional learning programs, which is something that's really been rising in schools for a while now. And and this survey found that about seven in 10 schools have some sort of a specific program for social emotional learning, something called SEL. You know, it has a lot of consensus around it. There's the idea that you're helping kids not just as learners, but as full human beings. But social emotional learning has been tagged as dealing with issues of identity and in some cases issues of race, which is, of course, part of identity for many people. And there have been some conservatives who have been pushing back on these programs and saying that they're just another version of critical race theory. So there has been some controversy around that, around that kind of supports that are being offered to kids. So not necessarily specifically COVID related, but it all sometimes gets worked into the same sort of programming. Laura Meckler, national education writer at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. We will be passing a statewide law, the Keep Schools Open and Safe Act, to require COVID-19 vaccines for in-person school attendance. Joining us now is Rachel Bluth, correspondent for Kaiser Health News. Thanks for joining us, Rachel. Thanks, Oscar. Happy to be here. Well, let's talk about some of these COVID vaccine mandates, specifically in California. So California was setting themselves up to have, uh, you know, some of the toughest COVID vaccine requirements in the country. I think at one time they had at least eight different bills that were going to require vaccinations in some form or another for employees, for children, for students going to school. Well, all of that has kind of changed now. You know, we're in this different phase of the pandemic now, and there just isn't as much of a willingness from people. The political will seems to have been gone as well. So, Rachel, help us walk through some of this, because I think there might be just one thing left, and even that doesn't have much hope. Yeah, well, it's really interesting. One thing I'll sort of correct you on is that there were eight bills at the beginning of this year in January, you know, lawmakers, they kind of got themselves together in this COVID vaccine working group, and they were going to come up with a package of bills to really beat the pandemic through vaccination. Not all of them were mandates. Two of them were. There was one to add COVID-19 to the list of vaccines that kids at school had to get. And the other would have been a mandate on employers to make sure that their employees of certain businesses, you know, mostly indoors, would have to be vaccinated. And, you know, there were some other bills in this package, you know, talking about enforcing health orders or changing the way that we track vaccine data. And some of some of them are still alive. Some of them aren't. But the two big vaccine mandate bills that was going to be the strongest, toughest in the nation, they died pretty quickly. They didn't get to their first committee hearings, didn't get to their first votes. And despite the pandemic not looking great right now, case rates are going back up, hospitalizations are going back up, new vaccinations have stalled a little. It doesn't seem like there's really a whole lot of political or public will to bring any of this back. Specifically in the area of schools, which is pretty interesting, because obviously, you know, they were trying to get these bills going and all that and say, you know, well, for this is going to happen for the next school year and whatnot. But the vaccination rates for kids really wasn't ticking up at all. And they started saying, well, this is going to shut a lot of kids out of school if we kind of go through with these things. So, again, some more uh, of why these things went by the wayside. 
boosters for kids age 5 to 11 were only recently approved. So I think only like 7% or something even slightly lower of that population has their boosters. But even if you just look at their first series, you know, their their first initial one or two shots, it's only 35% of kids age 5 to 11. So lawmakers were saying, you know, we can't have these mandates because kids won't be able to go to school and it'll keep them out of classrooms for too long. The timeline for the FDA approving these vaccines, fully approving vaccines for this age group went a little slower than I think either the governor or the legislature expected, which is part of the reason that Governor Newsom's vaccine mandate for schools has also been pushed back. But at the end of the day, earlier this year, mandates were the way that they were going to get all these kids vaccinated. And the reality of the situation now is so few of them have been that they no longer think mandates are a good idea. Part of the problem is there aren't COVID-19 vaccines in most pediatricians offices. You know, you you open up the vial and you have to use the whole thing. And if you're not getting a bunch of kids coming in every day, there's not a good reason for pediatricians to keep these stocked. So most kids have to go to CVS, Walgreens, you know, retail pharmacies, and that's not where kids are used to getting vaccinated. So there's been kind of a slow uptick there. And there's been recent stories that just came out uh, not too long ago saying, you know, that there's been a a ton of vaccines that were thrown away at some of these CVSs and Walmarts because of the same thing. They're just, they're not being used. They're going to waste. You know, in California, obviously a huge state, they wanted to be aggressive with this, as you mentioned, to kind of set the standard, I guess, for other states too. But I like the way you put it in the article. The most popular vaccine legislation has been to ban COVID vaccine mandates of any kind. There's like 19 states that have done that. Exactly. And this whole thing of vaccines getting thrown away, parents being vaccinated, but not getting their kids vaccinated, it gets back to a fundamental problem since the beginning of the pandemic, which is that there hasn't been really great outreach and great messaging to parents about why this is important, why they should get their kids vaccinated, outreach to vulnerable populations, advocates and pro-vaccine organizers have told me that that was a huge failure. And part of the reason that A, vaccine rates aren't higher, and so we can't mandate them in in lawmakers' eyes. And B, why it feels like the public has moved on, too. And there's just no political will in an election year to start voting for mandates again. You know, so what's next then? If we're not going to go with these bills, uh, mandates or requirements, I guess in uh, Governor Newsom's latest state budget, there's a lot of money for vaccine outreach and uh, for vaccine distribution and administration. But that's pretty much where we're at. You just got to keep pushing the needle the best you can on that uh, that way. You know, when it comes to the employer mandate part, you know, not not the school vaccines, there's a ton of pushback from, yeah, just like you mentioned, police unions, firefighter unions, these kind of public safety unions, not necessarily the kind of labor unions that you you think about when we talk about unions sort of in other arenas. Yeah, there was huge pushback saying that it would interfere with their collective bargaining. And there was some pushback from the business community, too. And kind of taken together, really sink the political chances of this getting done. So, yeah, going forward, there's going to be an increased emphasis on trying to do some of that outreach that I mentioned, although you can't really turn back the clock if people don't trust you anymore. But there's money in the budget for it. But there's this really overwhelming feeling that a lot of people have moved on. Rachel Bluth, correspondent for Kaiser Health News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. 
Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. The next circle out is, you know, your partner who's almost an extension of yourself. And then there is a circle of your coolest friends, which are anywhere from three to five people. And those are the ones that we've really invested the most time. We feel like we know the best and who know us the best. Joining us now is Ali Volpe, senior reporter at Vox. Thanks for joining us, Ali. Thanks so much for having me. Well, let's talk about friends and friendships and uh, how many friends you should have to make your life better. You know, there's been a lot of research on, uh, you know, the quality of life improvements that come with having uh, meaningful relationships and, you know, even closer uh, relationships, those ones that, you know, your best friends, the ones that you can be who you truly are around them and everything. You know, they're very important to a lot of people and coming off of the pandemic, you know, a lot of people were battling with loneliness. Uh, A lot of people are getting back into action now saying, you know, I want to connect with as many people as possible. But as I mentioned, there's a lot of research on this. So let's narrow it down and see uh, where we're at. A lot of research says you kind of need anywhere from three to five relations. I mean, even one close friendship is good, but the optimal number could be around three to five. So Ali, tell us a little bit more about this. So I don't know about you, but coming out of the pandemic, I sort of felt overwhelmed. Like I need to touch base with all these people I've lost touch with over the last two years. And that can kind of lead to a little bit of burnout. So instead of like stretching ourselves super thin, we should really focus on a couple of those really core close friendships. In the 90s, an evolutionary psychologist named Robin Dunbar posited that we can handle 150 meaningful social relationships at any time, which is a lot. But it's sort of like a tier. It's almost unimaginable that like I would know 150 people, but it's possible, I guess. But that number is actually tiered. And so in the smallest circle, almost thinking of it like a target is yourself. And then the next circle out is, you know, your partner who's almost an extension of yourself. And then there is a circle of your coolest friends, which are anywhere from three to five people. And those are the ones that we've really invested the most time. We feel like we know the best and who know us the best. Reaching a level of intimacy with a close, close friend is about 200 hours. That's a long time. Yeah. And you think about like how we spread that time out over the course of a friendship, Um, even just thinking about like college friends, someone you meet in your dorm room and how that grows into a really deep friendship. And so it is helpful when we are constantly like seeing that person every day, like at work or at school. 
And then when you think about adulthood, and I think part of the reason why people say meeting new friends in adulthood is so hard is because like we don't have those sort of places where we can run into a person and develop those hours as long um, over a period of time, which is why friendship is work. And it does require mutual effort on both parties. But yeah, it is a lot of hours. One of the people you spoke to had a quote in here in your story, and it makes perfect sense. Knowing another person's schedule is an act of intimacy. You know, like if you know someone enough to know where they're going to be at at a certain moment or so-and-so's got work today, you know, we'll connect on another day. That is a real big sign of how close you can be. Yes. Um, Jeffrey Hall, who is actually the researcher who came up with the 200 hours number on to quantify close friendship. Um, he was the one who, who said that wonderful, wonderful quote. But, you know, yeah, knowing where someone's going to be or what's going on in their lives because you're regularly keeping in touch with them is such a surefire sign that, like, you guys are close. Like, think about some of your really great friends. Like, I know what my best friend is doing today, that her dog went to training. And so we just talk that much that we know what's going on in each other's lives. And so that is really a huge signifier of closeness. And so if you're feeling like you want to get closer to some people, it's just maintaining that conversation with someone, having a routine. Research also from Jeffrey Hall has shown that, you know, having an ongoing routine with your friends, whether that's like a book club or like a weekly fitness class you guys do together, just knowing that you will see that person again in an extended period of time is makes it so much easier to keep in touch with someone. A lot of this research shows, a lot of the experts you spoke to even say, even just talking with acquaintances, connecting with people on smaller levels really helps you uh, on the other side of things. Yes, I love interacting with acquaintances, anyone from like the barista at the coffee shop to like the person who cuts your hair. These aren't people that we would consider close friends, but they do have a an amazing effect on our lives. They can make us more empathetic because we're, you know, taking a peek into someone else's life. They can help us be more social even when we haven't had practice. And it is important to have this sort of healthy, quote unquote, social diet of, you know, having these really close friends, but also having, you know, the dessert of having acquaintances or weaker ties. All of these things are equally as beneficial to us. Ali Volpe, senior reporter at Vox. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. 
Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free at 